Curiosities. I remain, as always, your humble host, Osgood. I'm almost finished with setting up my special exhibit for August. The aquariums are all set up now. All there is left to do is place the creatures back into the tanks and allow them to resettle. Now, where is Andrew? I'm here, Osgood. Where should I put these buckets? Bring them here, and carefully, let's pull them back into the tanks. All right, here's the first one. Oh, careful, I said. There it goes. Yes, excellent. There appears that there was no trauma from the transportation. Swimming and healthy. Already exploring her new environment. Excellent, excellent. Oh, what is that thing? I've never seen a fish like that before. Funny you should ask, actually. I acquired it quite by accident. A traveling rock hound sold me a mineral specimen, which he insisted was a meteor fragment. I decided to place it into my fish tank. After some time had passed, the goldfish started disappearing, and then, well, here was this creature instead. I named her Stephanie. That is the ugliest thing I have ever seen. Don't be insulting, Andrew. Do you think you're some sort of prize? Oh, look. Look, she's looking at you. I think you've hurt her feelings, or perhaps she likes you. Look at those eyes. Stunning, aren't they? No, that's not what I meant. They're like an abyss. It's like everything I've ever done or ever will do. Everything we ever will do is in our entire human race. It's all just a futile gesture which some starborn eldritch uncaring god is laughing. Eh. Don't be foolish, Andrew. Everyone who works for me feels that way. It's a gift. It's the fish. But it's not a fish. I... There's someone, something, something unspeakable just on the edge of my consciousness. It knows. It, it can see right through me. There's a rift that's open, and for the first time in my life, I'm seeing everything as it really is. How about you snap out of it and introduce our story for this evening? Our guests are waiting. What? Oh, oh, right, the, the story. Of, of course, Osgood. <clears throat> Tonight's story is by Emma Whitehall, a writer, editor, and book reviewer from the Northeast of England. Her work has been published in the UK, USA, Mexico, and Ireland, and was shortlisted for the 2017 Fish Flash Fiction Award. You can follow her at, at hire underscore Emma. Nicely done, but don't get any ideas. I 
still do the introductions around here. This one will be read for us by Miss Elizabeth Chatsworth. The Rat and the Frog by Emma Whitehall Lucinda Belmont stood in the centre of a whirlwind of dresses. Silks and satins shimmered past her head as she flung the contents of her wardrobe behind her, while Ida tried to rescue the most expensive pieces from hitting the floor, where they risked being trampled upon by her mistress's house shoes. I mean, really, Ida, what does one wear to the launch of a crypto menagerie? Is the blue silk too much? Not enough? Who knows? I know, ma'am. I don't mean to sound ungrateful, Ida. Lord knows that, but I just wish dear Devon had given me a little more context for the evening. Yes, dear Devon. Ida compressed a shudder at the mention of Lord Casterbury, Lucinda's paramour, into a single, slightly longer than average, blink. She'd already made a list of chores to be conveniently attending to when his automated carriage pulled up at the front door. Lord Casterbury, in an attempt to impress his would-be betrothed, had invested a sizable sum into a new wing at the Schuller Museum of Crypto-Marine Biology and had wrangled two tickets to the opening of the new Hippocamp exhibit. Unfortunately for him, Lucinda had about as much interest or experience with sea life as his clockwork moustache waxer. But, as Casterbury had informed her, the scientist who had captured the beasts was very fashionable. Malco something or other, and everyone worth seeing in Locksport would be in attendance. And so it was written in the pocket diary, so shall it be done. A sharp rap upon the front door. Lucinda squeaked, Ooh, Ida, go show him into the parlour. I won't be a moment. But, ma'am, the dresses and the sweeping. You'll have time once we go. Now shoo and offer him a nice teacup, Ida, from the special set. Ida creaked the front door open as wide as she dared. Ah, the scrumptious Ida. Lord Casterbury. Ida was a lot of things. Scrumptious had never been one of them. Serious, yes. Scrawny, definitely. She jerked the corner of her mouth into a smile. Miss Belmont won't be a moment. Please take a seat in the drawing room and I'll fetch you a cup of tea. Only if you sit on my lap while I drink it, winked Casterbury. Ida blinked again, her smile frozen grimly onto her face. Devon, darling! Lucinda, arriving seconds too late, as usual. She'd plumped for the blue silk with a jaunty white fascinator, obviously going for a nautical theme. She drifted down the stairs, never betraying the feats of acrobatics she must have performed to pour herself into that dress without Ida's help, her hand already extended for a kiss. Lucinda, you look absolutely breathtaking. A mermaid, a siren, a rare ocean jewel. Oh, Devon, stop it. You're making me blush. If I could, I'd make you blush every hour of every day, my angel. Ida longed for her sweeping. 
She excused herself and retreated upstairs to begin the labour of organising Lucinda's dresses, with one ear pricked for the sound of the front door banging closed and quiet finally returning to the household. She had her own agenda to keep tonight. After she finished her chores, she completed a quick sweep of the house. Her job was always a simple one, one teacup to wash, floors that only needed a light mopping, and a mistress so spoiled and absent-minded she had no real inkling of how long any given task should take, which freed up a lot of Ida's evenings. She climbed the ladder to her own quarters, fishing the old leather case from beneath her bed. She shed her maid's uniform, pulling on the black tunic and gents' trousers that fit like a second skin. The tight black curls of her hair were slicked back with macassar oil, and her unusually wide feet slipped into a pair of steel-toed boots, fitted with foam to soften her step. She patted the pockets of her overcoat. Yes, her lockpicks were there, where she'd left them. Finally, she held the goggles in her hand. Two bottle-green eyes stared back at her on a simple leather strap, their many dials supple and well-oiled. One small twist and Ida could see in any light condition. They were the most valuable things she owned, her mother's, and she wouldn't trade them for all the gold in the world. She allowed herself a moment of vanity. Glancing in her scratched, dull, full-length mirror, Gone was Ida, maid and confidant. In her place stood the Rat Prince. The Rat Prince had evaded the constables for over three years now. Unlike Locksport's usual bevy of suspects, he was subtle, quick and clever, sneaking into the houses of the city's elite, stealing jewels, documents and once a pair of irreplaceable china dogs. Before vanishing into the night... No windows broken, no fingerprints, no calling card. He was all at once working-class hero and monster of legend, a shadow on the wall. Sometimes Ida heard of some trinket on the grapevine and knew it would fetch a pretty penny, even after being bought and sold to a chain of middlemen and false identities. She'd even started a bidding war between two of her alter egos once. Sometimes she was just bored. But with most jobs, like tonight, a client had contacted her through one of her many channels and requested her services. Their meeting was scheduled for about five o'clock in the morning, an hour and a half before Ida's chores for the day usually started. Plenty of time. She grabbed a new addition to her repertoire for the evening a large earthenware milk jug from the pantry, swung out of her bedroom window and was up on the roof in one smooth motion. Ida let the cool air hit her face, breathing deep. The city of Locksport unfolded before her like a strip of black satin dotted with jewels. Genteel townhouses and parks dissolved into museums, theatres and exhibition halls before fading into the pubs, terraces and docks down by the river. Ida charted her course, chin resting on her knuckles, over the rooftops, down the back alley near the university, round the back of the campus, up the drain pipe, two more roofs to jump, 
and she'd be there. When Casterbury had arrived at the front door, brandishing two tickets to that damn soiree, Ida's stomach had sank. Her own plans had been scheduled in for months, and as soon as Lucinda was asleep, she'd head off to the Shula, get the job done, and be back before she needed to start making breakfast. Damn Casterbury. Ida had loathed him from the first instance he crossed her threshold, with his ruddy face, baying laugh, and bristling, ticklish moustache. It was bad enough that, once he inevitably got his way and became a permanent resident, Ida would have to work twice as hard and be twice as careful at covering up her nighttime exploits. She can imagine her new lord and master becoming something of a snoop, but Ida would never understand why in God's name had her mistress pitched someone so loud, so dull, so boorish. God, she'd been working for Lucinda for too long. She was starting to pick up her effects. Ida shrugged herself out of her thoughts. She might have to move on sooner rather than later, but that was a thought for another time. She had to get going. She stood, backed up, and took off at a run, taking the first of 17 long leaps she'd plotted to get to the Shula. She landed neatly, lightly, and was off running again in her next stride, her heart pounding joyfully in her chest. God, she'd miss this. Every day that was filled with nothing but sweeping and dusting was, in Ida's opinion, a wasted opportunity. The Schuler Museum was filled with couples wandering between the exhibits. Tanks filled with flitting fish of every colour. First editions of famous texts and skeletons of imposing beasts such as the Kraken, the Amacostas and the giant whales. Waiters, bottles in hand, floated from group to group, filling glasses with shimmering wine. One wall of the most populated room was taken up with a huge tank, filled with miniature horse-like creatures that sped through the water, challenging the guests through the glass and playing in the seaweed of their new habitat. Beside them stood their captor, Dr. Odesso Malco, a tall, ramrod-straight woman, Blonde hair tied back in a plait, politely smiling at guests as, one by one, they approached her to congratulate her on her new exhibit. Everyone's attention was fixed on the doctor, or the exhibits, or each other. Not one person noticed a shadow flick across the room from above. Ida perched on the catwalk above and got her bearings. This wasn't her first time in the Shuler Museum. Three of the museum's most treasured trinkets had made their way out the building in her pockets. Her route into and through the building was as well plotted as the optimal way to mop Lucinda's pantry. Her target wasn't in this room, obviously. Far too risky, even for the Rat Prince. No, she was looking to find the Henrietta Wing. The exhibit isn't technically open to the public yet, her clients had said. They stagger these things, and it gives the exhibit a chance to acclimatise. You shouldn't have too much trouble getting to the wing itself, and there will be a ladder behind the door to assist you once you're in. I think I can survive without a ladder, thank you, replied the Rat Prince from the shadows, green eyes glinting in the low lamplight. If you have people on the inside, why do you need me? 
none of us have the skills you possess. Will you help us or no? Well, the Ratvin snickered. I've always been known as a kind-hearted soul. Just have the money ready when I get there. Ida followed the catwalk, her eye trained on every door, every sign, the Malco wing, where most of the guests were still milling, then the Hightower wing, the Tillicum, the Copperthwaite. Aha, the Henrietta wing, named for Henrietta von Haller, director of the Schuler Museum. Ida was informed by the bronze plaque on the wall, featured a large blocky archway with a pair of dark oak doors, a circular locking mechanism around the size of Ida's fist, hung from the handles of the door by a large metal chain. A gear at each corner of the circle rotated four small discs in the middle of the device. When they were in the correct position, the door would open. Ida fished her lockpick kit from her overcoat, holding a narrow hooked hex key in one hand. She gently began teasing the gears into place, feeling for the moments when the metal felt the most worn. Behind her, she could hear the sounds of guests laughing, glasses clinking and subtle music playing. Then... Is it not my break yet? Come on, Tom, you've only been here two hours. I know, but watching them waiters running about with that blackberry wine. No drinking on the job, I've told you already. Come on, let's do another patrol. Then I might let you go on a break. Ida's hand slipped. Damn it, now she'd have to start this dial again. Her heart beat faster in her chest. Not afraid, not yet, but full of the knowledge she'd have to pick up her pace. The footsteps grew louder as the guards bickered about their shifts and the quality of blackberry wine. Ida felt the gear slide into place. As the shadows of the guards grew on the wall, she slipped inside and pulled the door to behind her. The Henrietta wing was pitch black and cool. Ida spun a dial on her goggles and the details of the room slowly came into green tinge view. Three of the walls were bare with the back one engineered to look like a ruddy coastline, plaster rocks and jagged painted cliff tops. In the centre sat a cylindrical tank. The water inside was a strange grey colour, still and cold looking. Ida approached it, fishing the jug from her bag. Her prize was in there. All that remained was to acquire it. Sure enough, a wooden ladder leaned against the right-hand wall. Ida snorted. <laughs> ladder indeed. She jammed the toe of one boot into a crevice in the facade and began her climb. About two-thirds of the way up, Ida manoeuvred herself to face the tank, hands gripping the plaster behind her. She stared into the water, searching for this creature she'd been sent to kidnap. Out of the murk came what Ida could only describe as a frog. A grey-green frog, nearly as long as Ida's forearm, with big, bulging eyes and webbed fingers and huge gills. I'm sure I caught one of those in the river locks when I was a kid, Ida thought. Still, money is money. She reached for the lid of the tank, attempted what she hoped was a reassuring smile. 
Hello, little fella. I've come to take you. The creature unhinged its jaws and screeched, the sound reverberating through the glass distorted and strange. Its maw stretched impossibly wide and impossibly black. Rows upon rows of fine, dagger-sharp teeth spiralled down its throat. Ida started, her grip slipping and her ears ringing. She fell with a thud to the floor, her teeth clamping down mercilessly on her tongue. Ow! Damn it! The door opened. Oh, Devon, you were sure we won't get caught? Nonsense, darling. The door is unlocked, so it's obviously permitted. Besides, what am I putting my pounds and pens towards if not for a private viewing of my ocean jewel? Ida slumped back against the facade, her knees against her chest, praying she'd be mistaken for a boulder through the dirty glass. This couldn't be happening. No, she couldn't be this unlucky. She'd hit her head, that was it, and now she was hallucinating. No. There was Lucinda's silhouette through the glass, and there was bloody goddamn Devon pissing Casterbury's fat form, gesturing and pontificating about. Ida would have almost preferred the guards. Brought it back from some expedition to the Americas. Some tiny coastal town in something. Got caught in a net, poor devil, and the townsfolk sold it to us. It won't be going on display for, oh, a few more months yet. It's a frog. What was that? It's a frog, Devon. A big slimy frog. Ugh, how awful. I much prefer those pretty little fish or the sweet little hippopotamuses. Hippocamps, darling. Ida heard the unmistakable clack of Lucinda stamping her tiny feet. I demand to be taken back to the party now. Yes, Lucinda, Ida thought. Back to the party. Back to the music and the pretty fish and the blackberry wine. Go on now. Casterbury's voice took on a lecherous slink. Oh, Lucinda, darling. I didn't bring you in here just for the exhibit. I have been simply dying to get you alone all evening. You look so ravishing. You can hardly blame me for that. A giggle. Ida's heart sank, lost in her churning stomach. I suppose there is a hint of romance sneaking off like this. A darkened room, the risk of discovery. Oh, Devon! And so, over the next 12 minutes, Ida Finn silently descended into the depths of her own personal hell. Finally, finally, the giggles and hushed conversation from the other side of the tank faded away, and the door to the Henrietta Wing softly closed again, and Ida was again alone. She scurried back up the facade and peered into the darkness of the water below her. The frog thing was floating, suspended, about two feet into the water, motionless. Are you as traumatized as I am at that display? Ida muttered. At least you're getting out. That's my life, matey. She spent a moment or two trying to coax the creature to her. 
Ida didn't have a lot of experience with animals. One of her past employers had had a pug, but Ida and Countess Mitzi had not been bosom chums. She tried making that squeaky noise with her lips that animal lovers make to call their pets to them. No joy. She tapped the water gently. Come on, come on. The creature glanced up at her, then resumed its motionless suspension. There was nothing else for it. Groaning under her breath, Ida plunged her right hand into the water up to the elbow, shoving the frog thing by its undercarriage into the jug. It squawked and tried to turn to snap at her, web hands clawing at the surface of the water. Ida slammed the lid of the jug closed, one hand clamping it shut, the other clutching it to her chest as she wrenched it out of the water. All right, the easy part was over. Ida slid as carefully as she could back down the facade and made her way towards the door. Outside, the party was still in full swing. If she could get back up into the rafters, she'd be home safe. Lucinda's laugh, pretty and shrill as a songbird, rang out from just beyond the door. Ida had counted on her mistress staying at the hub of the evening's festivities. Now, thanks to dear Devon, she was a loose cannon. Ida saw her carefully planned, reliable route up and out of the Schuler Museum crumble before her eyes. Pushing the air from her lungs in a long, steady sigh, Ida considered her options. Hide in the facade and wait until the party ended? No, her client was expecting her. Throw the doors open and strut through the party, knocking back some wine on her way out the front doors. Tempting but the constables would be waiting for her before she'd emptied her glass. The creature kicked miserably at the walls of the jug. Ida empathised. Her hand idled at the strap of her goggles, turning the dials absently as her mind searched for a solution. A bad habit of hers. If she couldn't find a solution with one exposure, she would open and close the aperture on her goggles as if a new brightness or darkness would bring a new perspective on her thoughts. When she was a child, her mother had slapped her hands away so often that both their palms stung. You'll break them, Ida. Sorry, Mum. Mama! I've told you enough times to call me Mama, haven't I? Mum is common. I'll not have you been outed as a gutter brat on your first day in some lord's house. Ida, seven years old, felt tears burn at her eyelashes. Her mother's face loomed before her, her worn brown hands cupping Ida's cheeks. Her face was filled with a stubborn, fierce kind of love. It's for your own good, sweetheart. No daughter of mine is going to grow up in poverty. Now, I've hidden your dolly somewhere in the house. Why don't you try and find it? You can have a sugared almond if you do. Suddenly, back in the real world, a flash of light snagged on the corner of Ida's field of vision. She looked up. There, above her, was a tiny rectangular window, up by the dome ceiling. It was small, purely to ventilate the room without destroying the delicate ambience. But a scoundrel as skinny as the Rat Prince could surely fit through it. Ida considered the facade. The creature lurched from side to side in the jug. She couldn't navigate the rocks one-handed without risking the damn thing launching itself out of the jug and down to its death. 
She needed something secure, something easy to navigate, something like a... Damn it. Ida walked towards the ladder with bitter resignation. Hooking the jug under one arm, she began her ascent. Ida was correct. A skinny scoundrel like the Rat Prince could fit through the tiny rectangular window. A skinny scoundrel carrying a milk jug containing a squirming frog thing, however, could not. The jug clanked and banged against the window frame as Ida attempted to maneuver it out onto the roof of the Schuler Museum. The frog thing belched and squawked its displeasure. Come on, you stupid thing, Ida muttered. I'm trying to save your dam. What's going on up there, then? As Ida looked down and saw the constable far below her on the pavement, a crowd of passers-by stopping to look in the direction of his pointing finger, three things happened at once. The first was that her grip on the jug loosened, just for a fraction of a moment. The next was that the lid of the jug flew open, and the frog thing, free at last, leapt out onto the roof beside her with a wet-sounded thud. The third was that Ida decided that this was the worst job she'd ever taken on. It's the bloody Rat Prince. What's that you say, sir? The Rat Prince is... There, up there, is... Stolen something from the Shuler. What is that thing? Halt in the name of the law. The constable had dashed inside the building and the fog thing had begun its slow, ponderous hop towards the edge of the rooftop. As it looked down, the creature let out another of those horrific screams, uninhibited this time by the thick glass of its tank. The sound was all-encompassing, and as Ida let, tucking her body into a forward roll, she caught a glimpse of the crowd below crumpled to the ground, clutching at their ears. Ida scooped the creature up as she tumbled over it, carrying it under her arm like a bundle of laundry. She took a running leap off the side of the Shula Museum. Her breath felt like fire in her throat, and the creature finally got its nasty little teeth into her skin. Ida bit back the pain, resisting the urge to chuck the little beast down to the crowd below and make a run for it. Instead, she slid down drain pipes and scurried up trellises, sliding over the rooftops of houses and universities, darting like a hunted fox over Locksport until the baying echoes of her name, imagined or otherwise, no longer rang in her ears. Only then did she make her way towards the docks. Her client was leaning against a lamppost, his hooded robe covering his face. You're 23 minutes late, he murmured, as the rat prince slipped out from behind a dingy-looking public house. Yes, well, snarled the Rat Prince, rubbing pointedly at the bite marks on his arm. You'd be late too if you'd had the night I have. Here's your monster, safe and well. The client held out his arms, and the frog thing leapt into his embrace, snuggling into the crook of his neck like a kitten. Beneath his goggles, the Rat Prince scowled. Nianthus blesses you for the safe return of her child, the client said his smile flashing in the shadows of his hood. Fantastic. Does Nianthus have my money? Unhearing, the client knelt at the edge of the dock, guiding the frog thing back into the water. It slipped below the surface, and for a moment, 
everything was quiet. Then the client began chanting something under his breath, low and fast and not in any language that Ida had ever heard. The water in the Luxport docks began to froth and boil, and a huge humped back rose from within it, the back of a creature that was far too large for even the deepest waters of the dock to be a comfortable fit. This creature, if it could be called something as mundane as a creature, was from a place so dark and so deep that it was beyond the comprehension of even those most intelligent scientists that had danced and drank inside the Shula that night. The idea of the two species inhabiting the same plane of existence, let alone the same building, was laughable to the point of hysteria. Two gigantic, bulbous eyes looked back at the humans on the dock's edge, and both of them felt their sanity shift just for a moment out of their grasp. The world spiralled and tipped to one side. Then, the small frog creature resurfaced, darting through the froth as happily as a dolphin. The massive creature's gaze softened, and one huge webbed hand scooped up its baby. The eldritch mother and child returned to the open ocean with one last gigantic flume of water. The waves lapped at the sides of the dock. Somewhere, far in the distance, Seagulls returned to their roosts on the riggings of the boats that had survived the small tsunami. The Rat Prince turned, hand outstretched. Well, that was strange. Money now, please. Really was a wonderful night, Ida darling. I wish you could have been there. Me too, ma'am. It sounds wonderful. It was just such a shame about all those poor people, terrorised by that awful rat prince. I know, ma'am. I read in the paper that he's got some sort of weapon now, some kind of sonic what-have-you. Devon says that he used it to decapacitate that poor constable so he could make his escape. Sounds ghastly, ma'am. Would you like apricot or plum jam this morning? Plum, darling. Just promise me you'll be careful on your errands, or when you're alone in your quarters at night, if anything happened to you. Lucinda's eyes glittered with emotion. Ida patted her mistress's hand. I promise, ma'am. Lucinda's fingers brushed against the bandage that snaked up her maid's arm, and her eyes narrowed as she caught Ida wince. Heavens, Ida, what have you done to your arm? Ida rubbed at the bandage, embarrassed. Cat scratches, ma'am. I tried to befriend that little black tomcat that we see in the garden from time to time. A beat. Then, Lucinda rolled her eyes. I never had you down as an animal lover, Ida. Honestly, befriending strays. You're too kind-hearted for your own good. That's me, ma'am. Now, go on, up to your quarters. I'll call on you when I desire my bath to be run. As Ida climbed the steps to her room, she felt the aches and pains of the previous night flood back into her muscles. Unwatched by her mistress, she let herself slouch, and she fell into bed as heavily as a stone. She was exhausted. Her ears still rang from the shrieks of that horrid little monster she'd nearly got herself arrested trying to save. 
and she'd suffered throughout the night with nightmares of frothing waves, gigantic beasts with bulbous eyes, and gigantic impossible kingdoms far below the waves. Still, she thought, popping a freshly sugared almond into her mouth from the bag she stashed below her pillow. The job still had some perks. Just no more rescue missions from now on. Perhaps. Andrew. Andrew, stop talking to the aquarium. You'll go quite mad. Why don't you go back down to the to the basement and help the others with whatever they are doing? The basement. Yes, the basement. I should go back to the basement where it's safe. That's right, Andrew. Good man. Back, back down into the basement with you. Yes. My editors, ladies and gentlemen, I do have to remind them of my benevolence from time to time, lest they should revolt. And, speaking of time, I do believe it is time for us to close. How's that for a segue for you? Come visit us again next time at the Gallery of Curiosities. Gallery of Curiosities is produced under a Creative Commons International 4.0 non-commercial attribution, no derivatives license. Don't sell it, change it, or make a transcript. If you are experiencing an overwhelming sense of worthlessness and futility in the face of the cosmic scale of it all, you may find some comfort in leaving us stars and reviews on iTunes or wherever it is you get your podcast from. Go on, you'll feel more cosmically significant for it. I'll wait here. Our theme song, as always, is Ashes Ashes by Deus Ex Vapora Machina. This episode was produced in August of 2018. For full show notes, visit us on the web at gallerycurious.com Stephanie, it's me, Andrew. I just had to see you again. Had to break the spell of loneliness, the intense loneliness of the basement. You look at me with those deep, penetrating eyes as though you disbelieve me, but it's true, I swear it. Sure. Kevin and Jed are down there. But I'm alone, dear Stephanie, alone. Kevin never talks. He never sleeps. He stares straight ahead all day with this blank look like he's dead. Dead but dreaming, eating with his fingers from a bowl of cold baked beans and raw garlic. Slow, deliberate. I think it's the only way he can still derive pleasure from this wretched existence. He's a lost soul if ever a soul he had. And Jed? Jed talks, sure. She talks, but not to me, no. To the visions in her head. The discussions get intense, and all the while she sharpens her knife. It's a hideous grinding sound, soft stone against hard metal, all that rasping and sharpening. Andrew. Basement. <laughs>